There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19. If you would please stand in honor and reverence to God's Word. Revelation chapter 19. We've been going through these Sundays looking at the different feasts of the Lord Jesus. We've been talking about feasting with Jesus. We were, we were, at, a, uh, we were at a wedding in Canaan. We talked about a mercy feast. We were on a mountain. We talked about the feeding of the 5,000. The miracle, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. We were in the upper room with the Lord Jesus, with His disciples. We were, last Sunday, we were on the beach there, on the shore, as Jesus called His disciples to a, uh, to a, a small dinner of loaves and fishes. Well, here we find ourselves, and I believe one of the final feasts we find our Lord Jesus in. It is the marriage supper of the Lamb we'll look at today, a marriage feast. Let's look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 9, just a few verses. Matthew, uh, Matthew 19, I mean, excuse me, Revelation 19, and look at verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in the fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints." He saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These things are true sayings of God. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we'll speak this morning on the marriage feast. A marriage feast. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love You. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are Savior and friend. And Father, thank You that we've worshipped You in song. And I pray, Father, that that worship, that spirit of worship, that kindling of love and affection for You would continue through the preaching of Your Word. Because truly, You are the gem that is the prize of our worship today. You are the setting that is the beautiful beholding of our eyes this morning. And I pray the Lord Jesus would be glorified. We, as a bride, I pray we'd make ourselves ready to meet You in the air and to ever be with our husband, the Lord Jesus, our Savior, the one who paid the price for us. May we love you and adore you this morning. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. You know, most weddings, the bride, in most weddings, the bride walks down the aisle to the tune, the wedding march. Dun, dun. Ta-da! You know the wedding march, you know. She comes down the aisle. You know that wedding march is by composer Richard Wagner. But musicologist Maurice Zam said that the wedding march, you know, that's played at the beginning of a wedding, would has been so distorted that Richard Wagner would have difficulty recognizing as his own composing. You see, the march comes from Wagner's Lehengrin, and the tempo was indicated by Wagner as Adante Conmato. What that means is faster than a walk, okay? Well, you know the wedding march. I mean, it should be, you know, faster than a, uh, than a walk should be a joyful rhythmic kind of swing down to the altar. But you know, I mean, it's more like a funeral dirge, right? Uh, uh, Sam said today it's played so slowly that only an acrobat could keep his balance in the promenade up the aisle and and that it is better keyed for a murderer in his walk to the last mile toward legal extinction and has become the most agonizing march in the history of civilized man. 
according to Zam, a Dante con motto means let's speed this thing up and get to the main business, which is a happy honeymoon. Well, I'd say amen to that. Let's speed that thing up a little bit as they come down the aisle. You know, when it comes to one's wedding day, I believe that every one of us have a have been uh, every one of us that have been married has can agree that there is a great sense of anticipation let's get this going let's get this thing done and over with there's a there's a sense of anticipation i mean this is the day that every little girl dreams of and every love smitten young man envisions in his mind i remember a beautiful sunny october 24th morning in 1998, when I exited the place where all of the bachelors hung out that evening in preparation for my wedding, I remember the sky was as bright and as blue as it could possibly be. I remember stopping by the gas tank, uh, gas station, filling my car up and putting some gas in it. I remember uh, just the, the anticipation of the day. Today is the day of my wedding, the day that I've been waiting. All the waiting is over. This day marks the first day of the rest of our lives together. Oh, what a day that was as I look back upon it. You know, it is the same emotion of anticipation that is magnified when we come to Revelation 19. God looks by the picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb to instill inside of us Oh, what anticipation for the day of the Lamb's wedding. What a day we are looking forward to, to that great wedding day. It is a marriage that outshines every other marriage in history. A wedding celebration feast that supersedes every other joyous occasion that has ever been thrown in the history of all time. In beautiful brevity, you and I are called to look upon a heavenly wedding scene with heart-drawing anticipation. Only three verses were given. Just three short verses in which God pulls back the curtain ever so slightly Show us that day, that great wedding day when we will be united with Christ forever. Oh, what a day that will be. You know, if we're saved by God's grace, believing on Him that died for us on the cross, then we will indeed be participants in that supremely joyous occasion. Are you saved this morning? Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Is Jesus your Lamb? And be glad and rejoice like our text says. Because we will be at this wedding. I believe every one of us here can better envision all the happiest moments of all time. The marriage of the Lamb by performing four actions this morning that can be drawn from these verses. So I want to give four actions that we'll look at, we'll perform, that will better equip us for understanding what is taking place at this marriage supper of the Lamb. Notice, first of all, I want you to first of all recognize the ceremony portrayed. Notice in verse number 7, be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. You know, when God wanted to portray the joining together of, of, of Christ Jesus and His church, He did not use the picture of the coronation of a king. You know, God could have easily said, oh, the uniting of Jesus, the great king with His people, it would be best symbolized as a king and His authoritative rule over a people. God didn't use the swearing in of a president as Jesus being our great representative before the Father. He didn't use the picture of of the presidential inauguration. No, God used the picture of a love relationship. Heaven is going to be more than a King Jesus sitting on the throne and we His subjects busy about His business. No, this will be the marriage 
of the bride, the church, the people of God to the Lord Jesus. We see a picture from the rit, but we must see the picture from the ritual and custom of marriage in the context of Hebrew life. Now, you know, our job is not to bring the Bible to where we are, but our job is to bring ourselves to where the Bible is. And so, when we talk about a marriage, what is meant by a marriage? I mean, is it, is it what we see in our day and time? I don't think so, because when we look at a Hebrew marriage, we see something vastly different than what we see today. So I want to look at that for just a moment. I want you to notice in this ceremony portrayed, I want you to know a sacred betrothal. A sacred betrothal. The marriage process in the Bible times was somewhat of a longer process. I mean, hey, you know, you can go to Las Vegas and, and, and meet somebody and get married in 15 minutes, you know. You can be married in no time. But in, in Bible times, it was a longer drawn out process. You see, when a man had found a prospective bride, and I read a lot more, we could say a lot more about how that sometimes there were people, ladies that would uh, be like matchmakers, and they would, he would, they would take the description that the groom to be would want for a wife, and then they'd go around and look, knocking on doors, looking at all the daughters, trying to find a match for this guy. We'll leave all that out. Let's just say he found the one that he wants. He set his affection upon them. He would approach not the bride, he would approach the father to discuss the arrangements to be wed to his daughter. Part of those arrangements would be a dowry price to be given to the father on behalf of the daughter. You see, what it boiled down to is that the, the father would no longer have the daughter as, a, as someone to work, and so he would be out. So, so the dowry price would be the price paid to replace her labor among them. Usually that dowry price was given right back to the daughter. It wasn't kept by the father. The father would take that dowry price, oftentimes coming in silver coins, and it would be strung together as a beautiful garland on her head that would be part of her, of her like a wedding ring almost. She would wear it all the time. Jesus spoke about a woman that lost a coin. It was part of that dowry that went upon her head. It was a beautiful thing that she wore. And so once the price was agreed upon, then the two would be betrothed, or, or the word espoused is often used. Um, when Joseph uh, was with a Mary in, before the Lord Jesus came, it was Joseph was espoused unto her. It means they weren't married yet, they were kind of, we would call it engagement or betrothal, but it's a little bit stronger than that. You see, betrothal in the Bible was, was something like engagement, but, but it was more binding. This was, a, this was an official promise by the groom to marry the bride that could not be easily broken. I mean, in order to break this engagement, I mean, you know, you hear about, you hear about sad stories all the time, you know. Uh, grooms or brides being left at the altar by, by, I heard a story about the runaway, you heard a story about the runaway bride and how she had a whole string of people that she left waiting at the altar because she always had cold feet and she could, it wasn't as easy as just running off and running away and calling it quits. No, this would take a, an official decree of divorce in order for the betrothal to be broken. You see, it was binding. And although there were, uh, the, uh, all, although the two were not yet wed, they were still bound by that promise to wed. You know, this is very much the state of a believer. A person that is believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.2, I have a spouse, same word used for Joseph to Mary. I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In anticipation of that wedding day, Paul said, you've been espoused. You've been betrothed. You've got the promise of a Savior. Jesus said, if you believe upon me, I give you everlasting life. You will become His bride. You become His own. 
Jesus has given us his promise in the gospel and and that we are his and he is ours and it cannot be broken. That's where we are today. You're sitting here. Are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus? That's where you are. You are betrothed unto the Savior. Notice second of all, not only a sacred betrothal, but a specific removal. You see, in that Hebrew wedding, once the betrothal took place, then the oddest thing would happen. The groom would leave the bride for at least or almost about the length of a year. A whole year. Can you imagine that in this day and time, man? You know, I just got engaged and then the groom says, "Go goodbye, I'll see you a year from now. I mean, it's almost unthinkable, but that was the reality. You see, the groom would leave the bride in an awaiting fashion. She would be known as a purchased one. She would be known as one that is set aside, awaiting her group. What a beautiful picture uh, that we are. We are purchased ones. We're set aside for the coming of Jesus Christ. We've been, we've been, we're off the market now. Amen. I'm bound to him. He's mine. I'm just waiting on him to come and claim his purchase. But no, the, the groom leaves and he goes away to pay the dowry price to the father. Uh, we can see this reflected in Old Testament Scripture. Many of you were here when we studied the book of Judges and how uh, that Caleb, he said, whoever takes Kerjeth Japheth, uh, this stronghold of Canaanite power, whoever takes that city, I'll give him Axa, my daughter, uh, to bride. And old Othniel, the cousin of Axa, said, yes, here's my chance. And he goes out and he takes this, uh, takes this stronghold of Canaanites. And sure enough, Axa becomes his bride. What about Jacob? Jacob who loved Rachel. Do you remember the story of Jacob? How he loved Rachel, Laban's daughter. And he went in and made a deal uh, that he would work for her seven years. And Laban pulled a fast one on him. He deserved it. He pulled a few fast ones in his time. And because of that, he was married to his other daughter. And then, and so he had to work an additional seven years, 14 years to pay the dowry price for his beloved Rachel. But the Bible tells us, oh, but it was like a few days because of his love. It was like a few days. It went by so quickly. He paid the price for Rachel, his beloved. Oh, Jesus paid the ransom price for you and I. Did he not? Did He not on Calvary's cross shed His precious blood for us? Ephesians 5.2 Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. What is the ransom price for the church of the living God? Not corruptible things as silver and gold or vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers. But Peter said, by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish, Jesus paid it all. Oh, to Him I owe. Jesus paid the dowry price. And also, the, the groom would go away and prepare a home. Prepare a place for the bride. The groom was away to make the place for them to spend the rest of their lives together. Uh, Jesus left this earth and He left with a promise. What did Jesus say after? Uh, what did He tell His disciples just before paying that dowry price on the cross for the church? What did He say? And if I go, uh, He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself. That where I am there, ye may be also. What a picture! It's just like the Hebrew wedding. Jesus is left to prepare an eternal home for all of us to reside. For His bride, the church of the living God, to be with Him throughout all eternity. Oh, there is the specific removal. A sacred betrothal, but also a sudden arrival. The wedding day was not known by the bride. Oh! Can you imagine, can you imagine not knowing your wedding day, ladies? You, this is the most important day of your life and you don't know when it's going to take place? This would drive our modern brides crazy. The groom, she knew that there would be a period of time which they would be apart. The groom is taking care of things for them. And it usually took about a year, but as the 
as the year grew to a close, the bride gets antsy. <laughs> he could come at any moment. Now is the time. He could be done tomorrow. My wedding day could be done. She would awake every morning in anticipation. Today could be the day. He could come for me today. At some unknown hour, there would be a shout alerting everyone in the village. The bridegroom is come! The bridegroom is come! Can you see her in the room? She's been sweeping and doing chores. Today's the day. She goes and grabs her wedding garments and all of the aunts and mothers and, and all of the cousins come in and they begin to bedeck her and make her ready to meet her bridegroom. That is the picture that is given to us. The bride would be then carried away, taken to the new home of the marriage and the wedding feast would begin. Lasting not seven hours, not three and a half or one and a half like ours. We ran out of food real quick. We didn't have a big reception. But it would last seven days. It would last a long extended period. You and I as the bride of Jesus Christ are waiting. We sit and wait. We wonder, could this be the day? It has been nine to two thousand years. Could this be the hour? He could come at any moment. He could come. And like, like the picture of the marriage, there will be a shout with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a picture. I mean, it is hand, it is hand and foot, it is clasped together. It pictures what is there for us. When God gives us the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, He is picturing things just as they are for the bride of Christ, for the church. Can you see the picture? Can you see it being played out even now? Child, a teenager, adult, mom and dad, are you ready? He could call at any moment. He could, he could, he could call in this very hour. Oh, Ramsey, he could call at this moment and we'd be taken away to see our beloved. There, we understand that marriage. Second of all, not only recognize the ceremony portrayed, but also visualize the Savior presented. Visualize the saber prevented. Back to Revelation 19 and verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. The Lamb is come. You know, in weddings today, much of the attention and emphasis is placed on who? The bride. It's all about the bride, isn't it? What is the bride wearing? What does her dress look like? What are the bride's flowers did she pick for her bouquet? What did the bride have? How did the bride hair have her hair done? What does the bride's veil look like? What did her shoes look like? I mean, but not a whole lot of attention is given the groom. Poor old grooms, you know, we just kind of waiting there, bumping along, smacking gum, can't wait till she walks through that door. They don't get much of attention. But, but in this case, and also with the Hebrew marriages, it is the groom that is given the most attention. Here, it is the Savior, the Lamb, that gets all the attention, and rightly so. Notice, first of all, we see the recognition of the groom. Notice that this is the marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse number 7. Give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Verse number 9. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who is this Lamb? Who are we referring to? Dr. H.L. Wilmington, in one of his books, comments that if all the Bible could be summed up in three statements, now you're talking preacher, amen. I need the condensed, the super condensed version of the Bible. I need three sentences. Well, if you were going to do that, then there are three sentences that could really sum up the Bible. The first one comes when the question is asked on the way back 
uh, all the way back in Genesis 27 and verse 7, where Isaac asked his father Abraham while ascending the summit of Mount Moriah, where is the Lamb? The next statement that would sum up the Bible takes us to the muddy banks of the Jordan River where a wild-eyed prophet wearing camel skin and eating locusts and wild honey takes a bony finger and points it at uh, the Jesus of Nazareth and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. The third statement can be found in Revelation chapter of number 5 where there are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands from every tribe and tongue and people and nation resounding with one voice, Worthy is the Lamb. There are the summary of the Bible. The marriage is all about the Lamb of God. He crowns the entire event. He is the pinnacle of all eyes. All attraction is to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Notice also not only the recognition of the groom, but the resplendence of His garments. He's beautiful. You know, when I got married to Carrie, I'd made up my mind I was going to make myself look different than other grooms. I didn't want to look like every other groom. I didn't want to look like all the other groomsmen. So I decided in order to make myself look better and to look more attractive instead of the traditional bow tie. You know, I, I'm always I'm non-traditional. I'm trying to go non I'm trying to push the boundaries of non-tradition. I, I dumped the bow tie and I got this beautiful black onyx pendant. Right there where the collar comes together. Amen. Kind of looking. I mean, I thought that was the. Now looking back, I'm really disappointed. I look like a doofus with a dot under his chin. It looks awful. Terrible. I wish my wife, my, my bride would have talked some sense into me. But it looks awful. But this one, you know, when we look at the Lord Jesus and what He is wearing, what will Jesus wear to His marriage? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, every groom wants to look his best for his bride. That may mean some shiny boots and a cowboy hat. That may mean a a very beautiful colored tie and a a different colored cummerbund or whatever they call it around the way. What, What will Jesus wear to His wedding? Will He wear His king suit? Will He come with a crown of gold upon His head, bedecked with all the royal robes of a king? You know, you know, kings have always had those, those purple robes in the end. Ever see a king? They always have that end of it with a white uh, uh, fur with the spots on it. I mean, will He come in a kingly garment? Will He come in His king suit with a scepter? Surely He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 17.14 tells us that. He is the greatest of all kings. Will He come in His king suit? No, I don't think so. Will He come in His lion suit? Will He come as that mighty conqueror? He has surely conquered the planet. He was the one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, to take the book from the Father's hands and to break all of the seals and all of the trumpets and all of the bold judgments have been thrust out on the earth. He will in the coming chapter uh, be King of kings and Lord of lords that will bring judgment, a lion's roar upon this earth. Will He wear His lion suit as a great conqueror? As beautiful as that would be, He is not going to wear that. What will Jesus wear. He will wear His lamb's suit. Notice, notice it said, it is the marriage of the lamb. It is the marriage supper of the lamb. You see, it will be the lamb's suit that will take our breath away. When we, the bride, come down the aisle in this wedding officiated by God the Father to unite the church, the bride, with Jesus Christ, when we turn that corner, when we see our Savior, He will take our breath away. His suit will remind us that in the garden He prayed, not my will, but thine be done. His suit will remind us of the lashes that crossed His back that brings healing to our sin-sick souls. He stood as a brass pillar as the last breath was beaten out of His body. His lamb suit will remind us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. 
when we see that lamb suit, we'll immediately recognize it was the one that he wore on the cross when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of God's wrath, he took my sin. He paid my price. Oh, how beautiful the lamb will be. How beautiful when I see the one to seek the scars in his hands and feet. How beautiful will be the forehead that bears the scars of the curse of sin upon his brow. Oh, how beautiful the Passover lamb. The one whose blood was shed to save me from the wrath and the judgment of God. Our eyes will be thrilled at the sight of him. Our hearts will melt at the sight of the Lamb. Oh, how we love Him. To you that believe He is precious. Oh, the Lamb, the Lamb. Now we've seen the recognized the ceremony portrayed. We've visualized the Savior presented. Now, we must also in these verses epitomize the saints' preparation. Epitomize. We should copy. We should be the very epitome of what is portrayed in these verses. Look at verse number 7. For the marriage supper of the Lamb is come. Notice this. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. You see, it seems these days that the groom is not really involved all that much in the preparations of the wedding day, is he? You know, most grooms say, tell me when to be there, what time, and I'll show up. You take care of the rest, honey. Don't, 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 don't pug, poke your husband right there, your wife. These preparations, more or less, he's resolved to just need a time and a place where he can uh, arrive, and that's his part. But, But it seems that the bride is especially in charge of putting the arrangements together. The preparations in order. We see that reflected in this scene. Because who is preparing themselves? Who's making themselves ready? It is the bride. First of all, I want you to see the bride's arrival in verse number 7. The last phrase, the, the wife hath made herself ready. As I showed you earlier in this message, the bride is the church of Jesus Christ. Those that have obeyed the gospel. Those that have believed upon Him in repentance and faith. The bride has awaited so long for this day. Have you ever noticed how brides-to-be can't seem to sit still? (laughs) Brides-to-be, they're always fidgeting. They all have a calendar in which they're Xing off the days. Every week goes by and they go, oh, I've got so much to do. I've got so much to get ready. They've got to pick the flowers and get the caterer and, 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 and find the right dress and get the bridesmaids lined up and keep them from fighting, scratching each other's eyes out and get the groomsmen their stuff because the, 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 uh, the groom's not going to do all that. So she's got to take care of them and she's got to separate the in-laws, keep them from fighting with each other. I mean, she's got to do everything. She is a flurry of activity. Our text is reflective of that hour. Counting down the days to the wedding. All the waiting is past. The shout has rang out and the church has been whisked away and that day has arrived. So I want want you to put yourself at that day. Jesus has come. He's whisked away His church. We are with Him. The, The tribulation is coming to a close. That's where we find ourselves in the book of Revelation. Everything's coming to a culmination. And now the Lamb marries the bride. The bride's arrival, she's there. Second of all, I want you to see the bride's apparel. That's really the focus of the last part of verse number 7 and the entire part of verse number 8. More is given. I want you to recognize this. More is given to the preparation of the bride than is to the Lamb, the groom, and the Lamb's feast and His wedding. Now, There are some disputes that come at this point. I'll be honest with you. Notice the wording in verse number 8. To her was granted that she should be arrayed 
in fine linen, clean and white, for the white linen is the righteousness, or, or it could easily, wouldn't harm the text any by saying the righteousnesses, plural, of the saints. Other translations place this as the righteous acts of the saints. Now, when it comes to righteousness of the bride, when it comes to my righteousness and your righteousness, we're given two of those in the Scripture. The Lord Jesus has given to us, at the point of faith, a righteousness in Himself. He we take, he takes our unrighteousness, we take his righteousness. Romans 3.22 speaks of the righteousness given to us, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ upon all them that believe, there is no difference. Paul is saying, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you have imputed to yourself righteousness. You've been justified. You stand righteous before God. But... In Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 4, the church at Sardis, Jesus said of the church at Sardis that they had not defiled their garments. Paul called the, I believe the Colossian, no, the Galatian believers to, no, 2 Corinthians, the Corinthian believers to cleanse themselves of all filthiness of the flesh. Paul said, I'm trying to present you a chaste, pure virgin before God. So there seems to be two angles to this righteousness. One uh, one is a righteousness of justification and one is a righteousness of sanctification. One is my position. One is my practice. Where does that leave us? Notice the verse, it says, it was granted that she should be arrayed. Or in other words, it was given to her to be arrayed in such a way. But then it goes on to say, to be arrayed in linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, the righteousness or the righteous acts of the saint, that seems to be something that we weave ourselves by our works, by our Good deeds, something we make for ourselves. So what is he talking about? Well, I like, I like W.A. Criswell's explanation of this passage. I believe it makes perfect sense. Listen to it very closely. He talks about in his message, he talks about the dress of the times. The dress in John's day or Jesus' day. Customary dress meant that there was an inner garment close to the body, worn close to the skin, and there was an outer garment, like a coat, uh, like, a, like the coat I'm wearing now. There was an inner garment of a shirt, there is an outer garment of a coat. That was customary wear. Two garments. And so, this is what he said. There is an, when it comes to us and what he believes and what I believe is pictured here, there is an inner garment of justification by faith which is the gift of God. There is also an outer garment of our obedience to the mandates and the commands of our Lord. There is an inner garment of imputation, the righteousness that comes to the child of God by faith. There is also an outer garment, the deeds by which we have sought to adorn the doctrine and glorify the name of our Savior. The inner garment is something that Christ bestows upon us when He washes our sins away, when we wash our robes, our souls and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. But there is also an outer garment that we shall wear which is woven of our own hands. It's made up of all of the things we have sought to do and did pray to do for our blessed Jesus. End quote. I think that makes perfect Sense two are displayed in the scriptures. One is imputed. One is one which we have placed on ourselves. We put together in this life to, as we live. Let's think about it this way: We are saved by grace. How many of you believe that this morning? Saved by grace. Ephesians two eight. Now, for uh, for you are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. But Ephesians two ten tells us. 
that we are saved unto good works that God had foreordained from the beginning of time that we should do. The book of James talks about, show me your faith by your works. You see, those righteousnesses of the saints are simply a God by the Holy Spirit working in us, as Philippians tells us, both to will and to do God's good pleasure. Think back to the illustration of a bride again. Think about a bride. A bride is getting ready for her wedding day. What does she do? In the months prior to it, she watches her figure. She doesn't go to Taco Bell as much as she used to. She, uh, she doesn't eat as much ice cream as she used to. I've got to get ready for that wedding day. She goes running. She starts to exercise. She gets, a, she gets a, uh, a membership at the gym. She starts running every day and jogging and, and lifting weights, tone up and firm up those legs. And then, I mean, she's getting her body ready. She goes and has a facial done every week to prepare the pores of her skin so that when that wedding day comes, her skin will be as soft and, oh, just she'll be so beautiful. She, she goes and gets a tan. She goes to the tanning booth and roasts her liver every day under that light for two months trying to get dark. She's going to look so beautiful and attractive to her groom. She treats her hair. She buys special shampoo so her hair will have that nice, beautiful sheen. She's, she's getting ready. There's a day coming. There's a wedding coming. I'm going to be ready. My hair's going to be like silk. It's going to be beautiful. She gets a tan. She prepares, uh, she prepares her gown. She spiffs and she spruces. She's the bride. Of course, that's what brides do. They get ready for the wedding. What about the bride's friend? The bride's, the bride's friend, she's probably not in the, maybe she's been invited, but she's not as one of the, one of the, uh, the, groom, the groomsmen, or what do you call the ladies? The ladies in waiting, I, I forgot, it went blank. Uh, the, the bridesmaids, she's not one of the bridesmaids. She just got an invitation to the wedding. She's a cow's potato. She eats all the chips between now and then. That day of the wedding is just a day on the calendar. Just something she's got to do. At the day of the wedding comes, she grabs whatever frumpy thing she finds from the closet that kind of hides all the weight she's gained over the past three months of watching TV and eating chips. And she goes to the wedding, she has a few hors d'oeuvres and leaves. By the way they live their life, you can tell who is the bride and who is not. Listen to me very closely. I believe that's what this depicts. Our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. But I'm a bride. I'm one that is waiting my Savior. I'm one that's waiting the one that'll come for me. And in that time, I am making myself ready. I'm not the same person that I was when I came here in 2007. I'm not the same person that was saved as a college student in 1994. I'm not the same person making myself ready. They're not going to catch me off guard when that... Jesus told His disciples, watch and pray, be ready, for you know not the hour that He cometh. You're weaving a garment. W.A. Criswell went back to the, went back to the, uh, to the, the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. And he t- goes back to those texts as some... Will will have not wood hand stubble will be burned up. And some will have gold, silver, and precious stones. And he likens that to the giving of that garment. It said that some will be saved even as by fire. And uh, he says of those folks gathered around, some of the folks around that bride barely got something on because it was saved so as by fire. What's your garment look like? Are you part of the bride? Are you part of the bride? Are you preparing yourself? Are you making yourself ready? Uh, Don't roll your eyes and and think, well, that's way down the road. He could call today the bridegroom cometh. All the graves empty themselves out and we are taken to the air and you're whisked away to the judgment seat of Christ where all of your life burns up. So as by fire you stand there with an outer garment that you're not very proud of. Are you allowing God to work through you? How do your garments look? Are you allowing Him to work His good pleasure through your life? Young person, teenager, mom and dad, grandparent, let God work through you. 
As He does so, He weaves together out of your pliable life, weaves together a garment that will make you a beautiful bride for Christ. Last of all, I know I don't usually do four-point messages with sub-points, but this last one's going to go by in a flash, all right? We must not only recognize the ceremony portrayed, visualize the Savior presented, epitomize the saints prepared, but last in closing, theorize the supper placed. You know, we're not told hardly anything about the wedding. You know that? We're not given a picture. It's almost like God just barely opens up the curtain and shows you just a tad and closes it. I mean, we can only... Guess, theorize what will take place. I mean, I don't know if Jesus is going to walk down the aisle, we're going to walk down the aisle, how it's going to work, I don't know. But I believe God's the one that will officiate that day. He'll be the one that will put... He will, the bride is the one in which the Father promised to the Son before the foundation of the earth. These are they whose names have been found in the Lamb's book of life. These are the bride, the Father will give them to the Son and officiate their celebration. Will it, be a, will it be a wondrous occasion like that of the dedication of the temple where the, where the whole place was filled with the glory of God? It will be some sort of celestial beauty uh, that cannot possibly be imagined in that wedding. Then it's off to the wedding feast. The marriage supper of the Lamb. You may ask your brother Ronnie, you've been doing a series on... on uh, <coughs> The face of Jesus, and you're just now in the last few minutes getting to the face. Man, that was a lot of that's a lot of things to talk about before we got to the dinner. You may be asking yourself, well, brother Ronnie, we've had fish and we've had fish and we've had loaves, we've had unleavened bread, and we've had uh, juice. What is going to be on the on the menu at the marriage supper of the Lamb? You know, I've heard all kinds of preachers. Praise God, there's going to be honey rolls and, and all kinds of banana pudding on the table. Boy, I tell you, it's going to be a feast. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. And truth be known, I don't care. <laughs> you remember, I was thinking about it this morning at the wedding reception for me and my wife. I have no idea what we ate. I was just with her. <laughs> I'm with her. I don't care what you got on the table. It doesn't really matter. She's here. I'm here. We're married. It's, it's all good. I don't care what you put on the table. I remember I went to my best friend Steve Tillis' wedding. And I tell you what, that was the best meatball I ever put in my mouth. I still remember it to this day. I about made myself sick, Ramsey, eating them meatballs at the table. I will never forget what was on the table there. But I wasn't getting married. <laughs> oh, listen, it doesn't matter. He'll be there. <laughs> He'll be there. <laughs> He'll be there. You remember when he told his disciples in that upper room, he said, I promise, after this day I'll never drink of the fruit of the vine again until we drink it in my Father's kingdom. Here's where he puts the cup in his hand and my bride is here and he takes that cup and leads us in a toast to the glory of the Father in heaven and drinks it anew for the first time. And the, Luke, the Gospel of Luke tells us that he will come and serve us at that table, at that supper. Oh, the Savior will be there. What will it be like to sit at that table? It's an old, old hymn that may well describe what that feast is like. Bear with me for a moment. I love this picture. Listen to what it says. There be prudent prophets all, the apostles six and six, the glorious martyrs in a row and confessors in betwixt. And through the glory of each one, though the glory of each one doth differ in degree, yet is the joy of all alike and common certainty. There David stands with harp in hand as master of the choir. A thousand times that men were blessed that may hear uh, that his music here. There Mary sings magnificent, the tune surpassing sweet, and all the maidens bear their part sitting at her feet. Mary Magdalene hath lost her tears and joyfully doth sing with all those saints whose harmony through every street doth ring. And in that holy company, listen, may you and I find place, though worth, though through worth of Him that died for us, and through His glorious grace, with cherubim 
and seraphim and hosts of ransom men sing our praises to the Lamb and add our great glad amen. <laughs> what a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. What a feast this will be. My question is, will you be there? Are you going to be there? You know, oftentimes they've said there's been great weddings. Oh, did you get an invitation? Are you going to be at the wedding of, of Prince Charles to Lady Diana? I remember that was when I was a kid. And I saw Lady Diana walk down that aisle in the beautiful. Are you, are you, are you going to get to go? Do you, have a, do you have a place at this wedding? Oh, listen, come all. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, come, drink of the water of life freely. Come to the Lamb. You that are saved. You know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. How are your garments? You're preparing for a wedding just like any bride would be preparing for a date to be united to her groom. Prepare for the day that is coming. Prepare for the shout that will ring from the heavens that will take us from this life into His presence. Are you ready? Are you ready? With all the goings on in France... And let's make sure we pray for them, pray for those people over there as they survive these attacks. What hard joy to know that this life is not all. <laughs> that there is a wedding, there is a feast that we'll go to that will surpass all. That the Lamb that died for us will be. Oh, revel, rel, relish that moment. Revel in that truth. He goes on to say, and these words are true. Write them down. Be glad and rejoice. Write them down. For they are faithful and true. This will happen. Whatever the naysayer says, my Christ was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father. He's coming again. He's coming again. Let's all stand to our feeds. We come to a song of invitation. Every head bowed and every, every eye closed. What a celebration. What a day. What a day. Are you part of that? Are you... Are, are you a bride? Are you making yourself ready? Or are you kind of like the bride's friend? You're kind of, eh, it's just a day out there. I've got no reason to fix myself up, get myself ready. I can eat all the dainties of this world and not worry a thing. I'm telling you, you're not the bride. You're the bride's friend. Don't be deluded. Don't be deluded in yourself. That you can live any way you please and say, I'm still part of the bride. No, brides make themselves ready. Brides love the bridegroom. Do you know the bridegroom? Is he the love and Lord of your life? Do you see him as that lamb, as that king, as that lion, that conqueror? Bow to him as such this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you'd speak to hearts as we've studied your word and you've ravished our hearts this morning. Oh, my heart is so renewed and helped by what we've seen in the Scriptures. Oh, God, and such an anticipation in my heart. Help me prepare. God, make me ready. Holy Spirit of God, let me do. Let God do that what He wants in my heart and life. Let me be pliable in His hands. Let me make myself ready for the coming of my, of my grin. Father, bless this invitation. Call to those to repentance that need repenting. Call, call your people unto yourself this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.